Hi, and welcome to the Nomad Sailing Podcast. A Nomad Sailing are a small family-run sailing school, uh, the best, obviously, on the south coast of the UK. Uh, the team consisted of myself, Lou, the chief instructor, my brother, Jim, the school principal, and Joe, our ops manager, will be bringing you all things sailing and nautical over the coming weeks and months. So please subscribe and share and get in touch if you have a topic you'd like us to cover. And contact us at www.nomadsailing.co.uk. And please enjoy. Okay, so welcome to this week's podcast. It's on a, a bit of an environmental theme. And for that reason, I've got an environmental sailor that we know at Nomad quite well, Holly. And uh, we'll talk a bit about sailing with Holly and then some of the, the environmental work she's been doing as part of a group called Clean Sailors, which you may have heard of. So, hello, Holly. Hi. Thanks Thank you for having me. Off. You're welcome. Um, we always like to talk about sailing a bit first. So how long have you been sailing? How did you get into it? Um, are you still sailing? I am still sailing, fortunately, yes. Um, I first got into sailing, I was probably about seven or eight years old and had zero experience in it and found myself recruited into a sailing club by my parents on a very cold, wet, windy day in November on a reservoir in the middle of Derbyshire that's not it's like so used common, to. Isn't it? How yeah. Why do people carry on? <laughs> and, well, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just remember my sister and I each having our own little optimist and cowering in the bottom of it, trying to figure out how to get it back to shore as quickly as possible. Um, so I think that was in some ways a crude introduction, but uh, certainly something that stuck with me. And mm -hmm. uh, I've been fortunate enough to learn from my grandfather and my, my dad subsequently just um, inshore and offshore sailing, uh, which has, I've particularly taken to say over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, something that's a big passion and a big hobby. And obviously the last year for most of us meant that we haven't sailed as much as we'd like to, mm -hmm. but desperate to get back on the water. Yeah, it shouldn't be too long now. So it was that then that got you into a, a larger or wider interest in the, in the sea itself, in the ocean? Uh, it's a good question. I think I think the sea probably precedes sailing in some ways. Like mm. most people, there's something about it that just draws you to it. But I think say, having the opportunity to sail um, the sea and getting more confident sailing offshore meant that I was able to join the dots a little bit clear, more clearly between the impact of sailing and also um, the impact that we're having on our seas. So it's also been a way that I've just combined two of my most natural passions in some senses um, and using that to, to start talking about the environmental impacts of, of what we do and how we're doing it. Right. And any, um, any future sailing coming up that you've got planned? Yeah. So um, planning to head to the north coast of Spain to pick up a boat um, sail it back by the Azores somewhere um, that I really want to go and explore and I think somewhere that you're not naturally going to fly to for a two-week holiday but mm. I love to see the islands um, and then back from the Azores to, to Falmouth and Falmouth to Chichester and then um, like most people having trips last year postponed um, I've got an Atlantic uh, doing the arc uh, end of November so from the Canaries over to St Lucia which I'm really looking forward to as well and when you get there because it is it's right in the middle isn't it out on its own do you think you're going to see some evidence of like the human impact even on that remote place i think okay. i think absolutely even the i mean i'm sure we'll come on to stuff like macro wise but because it's located with the atlantic it's there's a lot of plastic that gets washed up around the azores and as islanders they're pretty aware of the issue that um, they see perhaps more clearly 
Um, so I think in terms of just environmental interest and and really tangibly um, being able to assess how bad the problem is for another place in the world, I think is super important. And also just as island states, you know, I mean, they are relatively self-sufficient, um, mm -hmm. but I think some of these remote places and um, communities bear the worst brunt of some of the stuff that we get up to um, in bigger nations and obviously bigger nations that produce a lot of stuff as well, yeah, uh, which really, ends up in the sea. Really hard for them to legislate against what's actually someone else is producing. That's yeah, what it's a really good point. It's a really good point because, I mean, just globally, I think the US and certainly the Western world more traditionally um, produce most of the world's plastic, right? And yet it's consumed mostly actually by um, the global south and a lot of the pollution problem actually comes from the global south, but it's us that's producing the plastic and shipping our products over there and uh, into, into societies and systems that don't have the same, whether it's sewage works, whether it's uh, not even recycling, but just uh, waste collection um, processes that we do. Um, so it's very imperfect, but exactly to your point, it's it moves. Litter yeah. and pollution moves. Um, it doesn't stay necessarily where it's dropped or inputted. So um, we've got a lot of work to do in that sense, for sure. It's a big habitat, isn't it? I was, I've, I've put down all my questions here. If you've got any sort of favourite ocean facts or stats, um, I know there's some I heard recently about about the surface of um, the surface of the oceans would take eight eight moon surfaces to cover. If you like, you'd have to unfold the moon eight times to cover. It's incredible, isn't it? The seas and the oceans, and it's one of the biggest. Well, it is I think it is the biggest habitat, isn't it, on the planet? Mm -hmm. What sort of stands out for you, um, maybe in that respect, and also sort of the, the big biggest problems that we're facing in that habitat? Yeah, good question. So I think building on your point around it being the biggest habitat, I mean, there's perhaps over 90 plus percent of the world's species actually exist within the ocean. And a lot of that we haven't even explored yet because we're talking between four to seven miles deep, 11 kilometers deep. Yeah. Um, and it just hasn't been possible for us to date to get there. So there's so much that we haven't yet explored. Um, and I think that we, I think we still think of ourselves as perhaps the most prevalent and dominant species, which arguably we are, but the majority of life is not human. <laughs> and yet we're having a disproportionate impact on all of it. Um, and I think just to almost jump ahead slightly, because I know um, you were thinking maybe one of the quotes that I found most interesting, but it really comes from human in space. And he got up there. That the earth is like how it is and how amazing and i think because we call it earth we think that it's land like you you know where you and i are sitting yeah. right now but actually this planet is it is a it is a watery planet it is mostly ocean yeah um, and psychologically we don't quite um i think we don't quite soak that up yeah for sure i think that's it we're we sort of terracentric terror aren't we totally Absolutely. And I guess that's why I do pay, they pay that much attention to land issues, but probably even less to ocean ones. Mm. And I think it's because you traditionally, we see the ocean as something that's, because it's so big, that it can soak up what we put in it, that it's this mass that things just get so lost in it. You know, you mm. hear people being lost at sea and, and things literally just... just A drop in the ocean and all. In it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in this... Certainly over the last, say, 50 years, up until the last 10 in particular, this kind of notion that dilution of pollution is a solution and has been a natural place for people to just put stuff mm. because it's, and it's 
so it just kind of disappears and actually it's been storing it all the time and everything we're putting in there isn't going away um yeah. i think it's just really fascinating for sure yeah same program i heard that um moon surface fact on it was a it was a start of the week on radio four i had helen scales who's a marine biologist talking about mm -hmm. the abyssal plane Mm -hmm. And it had a guy called Elizabeth Colbert who was talking about um, solutions and the impact of solutions, which we might come to. And a guy called Philip Hoare, who's, who's written a book called Leviathan. But he, he mentioned in his time looking at the abyssal plane through these remote, um, these remotely controlled vehicles. He was watching the abyssal plane in, in the Pacific, uh, to totally devoid of much apart from a few jellyfish. And then a mm -hmm. Coke can rolled into view. Now, and this is... 11 kilometers down, probably, I think, something 600 kilometers out to sea. Yeah. So it's quite poignant for that. It is poignant, but it's also very annoying, isn't it, in some respects? Because, I mean, even the fact that we haven't been down there, like to your point, it's 11 kilometers deep and the pressure is insane. And yeah. it's, I mean, the expense of getting humans down there is near impossible at the moment, the investment needed. Um, but it's, but we're still there and mm. we've managed to touch nearly every element of. Of the planet without even going there just by virtue of what yeah i, I can imagine he swore a bit when he saw that <laughs> yes yeah. so what would you say if, i mean there's so many different uh we obviously have so many different effects on that environment but there's some that you could pick out as your main glo global concerns and then we'll maybe talk about the little small things that we can do as yachts people yeah um i think for I mean, in some ways, where Clean Sailor started was, um, as mentioned, getting more confident in my sort of offshore sailing the last years. And it's much like your Coke can story that you can be in the middle of a mass of water, days from land, miles and miles from land, and also from other boats and other ships. And you just see just plastic rubbish or, um, you know, whether it's cans or bottles or packets or whatever else. And there's something that's very, you get transported so quickly in those instances because you're you're there being so humbled by the environment around you and feeling so tiny and yet there's a reminder of all the stuff that you thought you'd left behind <laughs> on land sort of bobbing by and I think um it was on perhaps one of my more recent trips um in 2019 just pre-lockdown when I just sat there on I was on morning watch and the sun had come up it was the most beautiful dawn and you get whales going past and then you see this sort of our rubbish in the in the waters and it made me just think why what does what do sailors have I mean we naturally we enjoy the water we love the water we use it as our pleasure our pastime and for people like yourself our, our profession we rely on it um and therefore surely we sailors uh can be more natural ambassadors for ocean protection than than you know complete land lovers <laughs> yeah. um and I think for me there are there are so many pressing topics I mean obviously microplastics is a big one because um, they're becoming more and more evident whether you go down to the beaches you can you can collect them in your hands um, as they get washed up um, but also just as science has become more developed um, and also we're looking in the right kind of places these days we can actually see the impact or begin to see the impact of how widespread um, plastics in particular are um, not just in the oceans and in the fish that we're now eating but in our drinking water right. and obviously last year was a massive year for us finding um, scientists finding particles in most of our major organs and and you really don't want to hear that you've got a credit worth a credit card's worth of plastic in your really? on your dinner plate wow. every week 
Yeah, and I think stuff like that is it's is, is, is the, the, the problem with the microplastics. We know that well, it's starting to appear they're so prevalent, widespread or prevalent. Mm -hmm. The problem is ingestion, is it? It's ingestion, and I think also that because they carry, if you break something down, I mean, talking of credit cards, I've got mine here, and I was looking at it because if you once you break this down, I mean, it takes hundreds, sometimes thousands of years to for this to be so tiny and so small that it's almost insignificant and as it's doing that it's getting smaller and smaller pieces it's transporting uh bacterias obviously things stick to the surface it's not completely smooth uh, it's transporting bacteria it's settling on um, whether it's sea grasses or corals and that's then affecting their ability to absorb things that are important to them whether it's uv light or whether it's um you know nutrition in the water um and also it's just i mean it's not natural and i appreciate that's a really obvious statement but none of us really want to be um drinking water or uh, eating food that it's almost we thought we got rid of and yet it's come back we chuck it sort of chuck it away and yet it's come back and we're, we're consuming it and we don't actually know i mean there's obviously lots of studies being done on the impact of plastic on human bodies but it's evident that you know sea animals and seabirds and um, fish in particular are mistaking it for food and ingesting it themselves which naturally means that it's in our, our food chain um, yeah. by virtue of that sort of wider global food cycle um, so it, it's very difficult I think to accept that it's not going to have an impact on on human beings and our bodies for sure. I mean, when, I, when I was young the, the big the big story was the Exxon Valdez going aground in in uh, off the coast of Alaska was it in the sort of northwest oh. area with a drunk skipper, I think it turned out. Oil, oil pollution was the only thing that sort of came to mind as a big problem mm -hmm. for us to try and deal with. And I think it still is, right? I mean, I think there's a there are a million issues, or should I say opportunities, um, around pollutants in our oceans, and they come from a variety of sources. Pretty much everything that goes on ends up in the sea, whether mm -hmm. it's you know agriculture, um, nitrates, phosphates, plastic rubbish etc and also oil and things and i think that you're right there's a time when oil was perhaps more prominent as an issue and now it's definitely plastic because it's um so widespread and so much more easy to document and the science behind it is so much better and also because it is is far impacting i mean oil tankers is is reserved in some ways for a smaller portion of society i it's a marine industry issue whereas plastic is you and i living our daily lives whether it's from your toothbrush to um, your yogurt part you know it's kind of really pervasive in that sense um a few more uh just maybe a bit more conversation on the problems that mm -hmm. we're having i know i know uh, on your the clean sailor site there was an article i don't know who wrote it on ocean temperature ocean warming mm -hmm. temperature rise mm -hmm. i i suspect that's sort of in line with um atmospheric warming isn't it it's all happening what's one of the impacts that we're expecting to see from that yeah it's a great question i think this is probably one of the most um interesting areas that we looked into um just research more recently because it's such a it's very difficult to to look at a, a massive system and we're talking about our global system here our global oceans our global atmosphere but when you start to break it down into what does it mean for us as, as people but also what it means for us as sailors it gets really interesting and i think obviously that the ocean is incredibly complex structure of different temperatures different depths different materials and coastlines and also different water types we've got salt water and we've got fresh water and as that balance gets disrupted with atmospheric warming and otherwise then it changes the very composition of the ocean and also what life it supports but the speed at which it moves how it transports nutrients around around it itself um for cheese and i mean crikey i'm 
I'm really oversimplifying the complexity here. Um, but in summary, you can imagine that warmer sea temperatures, well, when things are warm, they expand. So expanding seas often means that we're likely to get more flooding, um, particularly in coastal areas. And otherwise, you imagine your marina is a nice safe harbour. Well, if sea warming continues, is there an opportunity really for uh, a whole redesign uh, around ports and harbours just by virtue of the fact that the sea is changing and the nature of the ocean is changing as a result of it getting hotter? Um, so there's an element of impact to the coastlines for sure. And I think one of the standout facts that we um, found through that piece of research was last year, 2020, was a lot of things, as we know, um, some not to be remembered. But importantly, it was the hottest year for our seas and hot seas or warmer seas mean um, storms, hurricanes and otherwise. And you know this, I think, more than anybody um, because you teach it. But um, hurricanes and storms are, can be pretty big and pretty nasty and they already happen in a relatively seasonal format every year. But warm seas supercharged storms, and last year being the sea being the most warmest was also the year of the most hurricanes ever recorded. Right, so the two are intrinsically yeah. linked with each other. And what that means, obviously, I mean, you think about our weather systems and our weather patterns likely to get more storms. They're likely to be more violent. With the sea also getting warmer, you can imagine that flooding is then exacerbated as a result, and that changes. I mean, just by virtue of sailors, we're always looking at the I mean, yes, it's a British concern anyway, but it's also an incredibly important part of, of sailing and being safe and um, likely would change the nature of when we sail, how we sail, um, how frequently you can sail and how far we can go. I mean, obviously, hurricanes and the cyclone season affect the, the mid latitudes and, you know, things like Atlantic crossings and also even shipping and shipping lanes and containers are going to be increasingly in the parts of these big sort of weather systems. Um, so that was something we found would likely happen if this sort of trajectory continued. And then down to our very own sort of sailing boat, sea temperatures warm. I mean, obviously you think about say the Bahamas versus Cornwall, there's a big difference in the kind of marine life that exists in either of them. And warmer waters are likely to introduce new species to new areas. So um, take for example, around the UK, if waters keep warming, you're likely to see more jellyfish. They love warm water, but they're also not particularly healthy, as in a lot of jellyfish doesn't mean a necessarily healthy ecosystem. Um, they don't have na many natural predators, turtles, um, mm. but it also means that invasive species may become a little bit more uncontrollable. And also barnacles. I mean, um, appreciate one of the sort of bugbears of, of sailors and um, around the world is having to scrub your bottom however many times every couple of years and get up all of the species that stick to the bottom of your boat you know it slows us down it's it's not they're not it's very natural process to happen that things get stuck yeah. to the bottom of our boats but it's also a bit of a nightmare and pretty expensive to get them back off again and also in the process can be a pretty um unenvironmentally friendly process at the moment to to anti-foul and barnacles love warmer water so it kind of figures that the warmer the sea temperatures, certainly above well, around 15 degrees Celsius, means that we do get more barnacles, unfortunately. It kind of like sounds like it's going to turn thing, ecosystems on their heads a bit. And that's where the invasive species and the natural species can't catch up. And, and then those really sensitive species like the corals, who just can't cope with it and they, mm. they die off. You know, it's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I think it, it is pretty grim. And I think there's a... Um, but the point is, is that we now know I think previously where you know we were talking about the ocean in particular being kind of the dumping ground where things are put to kind of be gotten rid of like we know better now like never before have we had more knowledge and more scientific evidence around the impact that we're having on mm. we now should be better armed to make some really tangible 
um, solutions and better decisions about how we go forward. So part of you, going back, you've mentioned clean sales a little bit. Um, you started, at, what would you call clean sales? It's a, an act, a group, a, um, is it a group of activists? An Good point. Group? But anyway, yeah, it's a great question. Clean and what it is, you've mentioned it a little mm. bit, and what the focus is, because um, I guess it's all about affecting some change. Yeah, Clean Sailors is, um, so at the moment we're a group of like-minded sailors who are interested in environmental topics and perhaps what we can do about them. And it came about, uh, I set it up last July um, as a way really to share what I was learning and perhaps what had inspired me to think differently about my impact on the environment and also the impact that I can have whilst I'm sailing. Um, so it very, very naturally grew into something that has become a bit more of a community um, talking to sailors around the world um, about what sailing is and perhaps some of the environmental topics that we aren't so aware of. It was a, really a way of sharing curiosity and broadening the picture of what it means to sail. Yes, you are perhaps enjoying yourself and <laughs> um, being out on the water, this whole complex and that's working around us all the time. And I think it's part me educating myself, but then also being able to share that with other people and um, in doing so, hoping to be more mindful about um, what sailing could be and perhaps how we can be thinking about it a little bit differently and then over the course of the last year we've had another five people sort of join the crew and who are also super interested in sort of science and investigating topics around sailing in the ocean so um, we're gently growing we're nine months old um, but we've had some great reception so far and I think because you know we know we've talked about all of the issues like it, it can get dark and it can feel really heavy and as if there's nothing that we can do about it but you know clean sailors we're talking to each other as sailors so it's more we love the sea we love sailing cool okay how can we how can we help protect it rather than us iterating um, the message that the world is on fire we know that and it's it's hard to absorb it's a it's a difficult narrative and it also can disengage people quite quickly um including me you were talking about it <laughs> when you mentioned it is a big and bad pitch i was thinking yeah let's change the subject quickly this afternoon um, so how can people find out about what you do? You've got presence, obviously, online. Maybe. Yeah, so we've got an online presence. I mean, we launched actually in the middle of COVID, which was great in some ways because um, all of us are a little bit more captive on computers and on our sort of social media channels, etc. So it's been great to introduce um, just people around the world to what we are. But over time, we're obviously looking to get out and about in person um, in different kind of events. We've done things like beach cleans um, once lockdowns had lifted at various points in time. Um, but really, our social channels are our main sort of talking um, areas and obviously our website, which is where we release our articles. But we've also recently partnered with other organisations who are now using Clean Sailors content and features and research um, to share, which is I'm really proud for the team too, that every work that everyone's putting into finding out about these topics gets seen by more and more sailors. So um, predominantly online, but we're hoping to be more mobile in the near We'll future. put those links at the bottom of the podcast so you can our listeners can click in and see what's going on. Cool, thank you. So yeah, I guess as sailors, we always kind of think we're we're pretty we're pretty environmentally friendly. You know, we don't use the engine much, so we should probably be all right, are we? Yeah, but it's a great point. My next question is about really we're not, are we? There's, there's some things we perhaps overlook. And some things that we can help, things that we should do really to help lessen the impact we have. Yeah, I think there's there's two points to that, Jim. The first is, um, yes, we do. Of course, we use the wind most of the time. Um, but there's another layer, which is we have sinks, we have toilets, we have um, decks to clean. So everything that we're doing on our boats is ending up pretty much straight in the water. There are exceptions, obviously, but 
we are literally centimeters away from from the ocean so our impact is a lot more immediate than it is uh, when we're on land and i think just given the just the sheer volume of boats there are now i mean you're looking at millions around the world and you compound that impact from you know sewage going out through the um through the heads bilge water being pumped out um you know quite stringent deck cleaners being used and being washed overboard all of that compounded by as many sailors as there are and as many boats obviously builds up quite significantly but the second point is that we're not always sailors all the time you and I both live on land we work on land whatever else so we are also impacting wherever we are so what we're trying to talk about and the education and the topics we're discussing through clean sailors are very much around what can we do as people on land and at sea Hmm. um because both have a massive impact on the ocean like we said anything that happens anywhere normally ends up in the ocean so whether you're at home or whether on the water they both they both have a similar kind of result so it's kind of how do we talk to a group of people who already love the sea and Hmm. you do i do we we sail it we use it we enjoy it so naturally with people who um in a great position to become ocean ambassadors in that sense the sewage is a problem isn't it i i, I remember going and anchoring in the in the, the blue lagoon one of um, there must be hundreds of blue lagoons in in the mediterranean but one in croatia <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the things nice to do when when the temperature gets up in the morning is to just get out on deck and dive off the side to oh, cool off beautiful but in the morning it's not a blue lagoon you know it's, it's a brown lagoon there's so many boats anchored there and they're all up doing their ablutions in the morning yeah. i think now more more countries in the med are insisting on holding tanks but it's still not a uk it's not legislated in, in the uk it's it's interesting that the uk haven't done it i mean there's a, a in some ways a reason why and appreciating if you have a holding tank collects everything once you get back to your marina you need somewhere to get rid of it into yeah. i think that there are you know you have pumps which you and it sucks everything out of it and it goes into the land-based sewage system but I think two proper pumps on the south coast of the UK. I mean, most marinas don't have them, right? Yeah, actually. So there's a whole the, ecosystem. I can only think of two that I've come across regularly. One, one's up at Itchina and one's on pontoon in the Hamble. Mm-hmm. I think where I've seen any others. No, same. I think there's, but the point being is that we can say, okay, this is the new legislation, but then the, this whole ecosystem has to support the legislation. And mm. um I think until that's there, then it's very difficult. You you know, we can't pump out our own boats very easily at all. Um, there's just not, you know, the infrastructure to do so. And therefore we need that kind of support on a, on a wider basis that supports the legislation. It would be a great thing to do. It would obviously be a little bit inconvenient given what people have got so used to, but at the same time, this is becoming an increasingly big issue. Um, and it's also like you think, you know, you think of yourself on your boat one day and it's convenient to pump out your bilge in the middle of the water but then transport yourself to being the swimmer on the beach or the surfer or yeah. all the other kind of actors we play in, yeah. in and around the water and the story looks a little bit more gross sure. <laughs> from that angle I, mean, I have to try and time manage your defecation a bit better <laughs> so that you're... <laughs> i know that's not always possible it's also really hard to police what else can us yachts people do i'm thinking of, of stuff like gray water um um, I don't know if you've got any comments to make on these grey water and what we use in terms of detergents, stuff we use to keep the, the fouling happening on the bottom, anti-fouling, mm-hmm. refueling. We got sort of chemical waste. I don't know if you, you've come across the advice you give to your. Yeah, we've got advice for all of those, Jim. Um, <laughs> I, in terms of fueling, fueling is a really interesting one. Um, we also did a little bit of research recently and found that actually, you know, you talked about oil spills, and we can see we've seen 
relatively recently um, in time that these oil spills just look so catastrophic and have such an incredible impact on the immediate and also extended environment around them. But actually only apparently 8% of fuel waste and oil spills in the ocean happen in these big disasters, right? So over 90% of them are happening in day-to-day activities like refueling, managing, running boats and engines and systems, etc. That's over 90% of it's coming from marine. And yeah. I think one of the most important things, obviously, as sailors, it's you have to fill up um, your tank at times. It's just making sure that none of it ends up in the water. It's not It's not difficult. It's not always easy. Things fit in whistles. Um, so it tells you, start singing at you as soon as you uh, post to the top or... Uh, fuel collars, um, even yeah. sort of funnels to make fuel mm-hmm. is going where it should be going, etc. Um, and all of these are um, incremental solutions for all of us. They don't cost us more time or more energy uh, or even more money in the most part. All of these bits and pieces are relatively inexpensive and easy to fit yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if 90% of all of the fuel and oil added to the water comes from um, everyday activities, then that's a really big reason for us to get that number mm-hmm. down. Yeah. And Go on, sorry. No, I'd say we, it's now sort of on the RYA syllabus, so we have to talk about the refueling as, as part of it and how you can limit mm-hmm. the chances of, of the fuel going over the side, say like collars and funnels. And um, yeah, that sound, it does tell you, doesn't it? That little sound as it's just the, the, the pitch tends to rise as the tank's getting fuller. And I always say to my students, if, if you've got a fuel gauge and you're aware of the capacity of your tank, mm-hmm. you should know how much you need to put in. Yeah. You don't have to wait until the pump clicks because that's usually too late on a boat. Sure. And fuel is one of the hardest things to get out of the water once it's in there. You know, it well, yeah, we were told spreads quickly. And... When I started sailing, always have the ferry liquid handy. So, you know, that big embarrassing slick of diesel is quickly dispersed by a drop of ferry, but don't do it. Um, it actually breaks it down even to even smaller particles, which are more mm-hmm. easily ingested. Yeah, exactly. Well, that. You, you mentioned about anti fouling because that's a, quite a toxic substance, isn't it? Yeah, antifouls is a difficult one. I think that um, naturally we talked about you, all of us get species sticking to the bottom of our boats. Um, it's a great spot for barnacles and weeds, etc. But obviously it slows us down. Um, it can potentially damage the infrastructure of our holes and stuff. So antifouling is a tr- slightly trickier one, appreciating that um, everyone needs to use it. And when you, re- you redo your boat, you need to take off the old stuff. So there's a kind of what are you putting on there but also how are you disposing of whatever you're taking off of it and it's a still quite an imperfect circle in that sense there are some new kind of brands that are coming out um where ultrasound is not necessarily a new one but actually using um vibrations and um literally ultrasonic things that we can't necessarily see or hear in order to deter species from sort of getting onto the bottom of our boats which have been proven really effective obviously it's a lot more environmentally friendly than a kind of paint that can leach into the environment over time i mean normal yeah. anti-foul within around is you've pretty lost a lot of it into the water anyway so and then you're having to sort of redo the process whereas ultrasonic systems can help with longevity but also being as kind of as effective um and there's also just innovation going on um around different types of kind of films that you can apply which reduce the surface area um of your of your boat meaning that there's fibers and otherwise that barnacles and things attach to but they can't get actually onto your hull so it's a lot easier than to remove say films and otherwise and um keep your boat a little bit cleaner without having the same impact on on the environment so there's a lot still to be done with anti-fouling but it's definitely something that 
it's probably one of the most obvious areas which something non-toxic um, graphene or something there was graphene seems to be a solution to a lot of things yeah it was an interesting one hey i think also it's there, there's so many complex feedback loops of all of these things so as soon as you're introducing a new thing into an environment that it hasn't been there before, there may be an impact somewhere down the line too. So it does take a little bit of research and otherwise, but we have got some advice on our website um, around antiviral as well. And perhaps some of the things that um, all of our sailors can be looking at. Great. Um, I've got a question here. We've kind of talked about it, but if there's one mm -hmm. thing we should stop doing um, out on the water or you could get people to stop doing, what would it be? Oh, I think, can I switch it to start doing instead of stop doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's just changed the kind of things that we're using slightly. I mean, instead of us using, you know, fairy liquid, dare I say it, let's just use something that's more more natural. And there's lots of products out there now that are more um, sea-friendly. Because as you said, if everything we're doing on our boat uh, ends up in the sea, mostly, then let's just make sure the things that are going into our boat are are less impactful than perhaps the stuff that we've traditionally mm -hmm. used. And that could be from your shampoo to your hand soap to your, you know, what are you cleaning your, your toilet with? Um, so, so it's on, rather just changing perspective, I think, in that sense. Look on the label. I guess it's the same sort of products that um, advertise that they're ecologically friendly on land you could take on the boat. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And ideally, right, the whole point of um, us as sailors is that it's not for us to go out in the water and be better. It's also to do the same on land. And ideally, we'd be doing um, similar activities um, everywhere. And all of these products, exactly as you said, there are a few products that obviously are more useful on a boat than they are on land. But for the most part, we do pick up a lot of our land life and transport it to our boat and, you know, make ourselves comfortable. And therefore, let's just use things that have less of an impact. I think there's always an opportunity to fit filters in and make sure that you're not, you know, there aren't nasties going down your drain in the first place. But if the things that are going down your drain in the first place are better and less toxic and have little environmental impact, then you don't necessarily need all the extra bits and pieces and gadgets. Um, and obviously the net impact is a lot better if you're, what's going in in the first place is cleaner. Of course, whatever we do, when we go sailing, we do have an impact, don't we? But we're not going to stop sailing. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, was, it was one of the questions. Maybe we shouldn't go sailing at all, but um, we're just going to do it in the right way. Yeah, and it's never, you know, we've been for years. I mean, it's one of the old, um, and it's a beautiful way to see the world. And it's, you know, brings so many of us so much pleasure. I think it's one of the areas which just not, we're so close to the sea. And therefore, we're naturally in a great place to start protecting it. As sailors, we don't want to be sort of cruising around the middle of nowhere in seas full of plastic. And we want to pop as you get into the water and, and not worry about picking up some sewage-related disease. So we're, we experience the sea far more readily than a lot of other people on this planet. So we can then more naturally be custodians for it. I quite like what some of the big the big groups are doing, which, you know, I mean, you will become, no doubt. There's a Greenpeace, I've seen them dumping big boulders on the trawling grounds, big piece of rock that's going to disrupt trawling fleets, mm -hmm. stop, them, stop them dredging up the seabed and that yeah. habitat. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because that affects somebody's livelihood, but it does perhaps cause them to think about how they could use the ocean's resource in a better, in a kinder way. Those so, those sort of interventions, do you think appropriate? I think they'll there'll always be such interventions. And I think we've seen across society, legislation and can be painfully. a lot slower to yeah. catch up. Sometimes, yeah, painfully slow. And therefore, it's um, also intrinsically woven into politics and economics and everything else. So it's it's a lot, takes longer to implement a change because there's so much collateral that also has to be considered. Um, but I think when people aren't getting enough or they aren't seeing enough being done, then naturally 
they'll self-organize and take matters into their own hands and I think that organizations like Greenpeace are perhaps doing something which is a solution that they can they can provide without having a system behind them such as the government um, or behind the issue to actually facilitate that change more appropriately or more immediately. So yeah we don't have to be a big environmental group to have, have, have an impact we all, you know from what we've been talking about it seems all of us as individuals and our crews can be encouraged to make things better. Um, what have you got planned for the future for you and for clean sailors? Are you Great able to question. Stop job yet? Yeah there's I, some things I won't give just not to support spoilers prize but um, I think personally more immediately definitely getting in the water and I think also just learning more about actors who are already doing um, great things whether it's new products that are being innovated in, in sailing but also in the wider marine industry that we can look to um, for inspiration and I think to your point around not being a big organization doing something I mean there are beach cleaners doing fantastic jobs I mean every all of us can be activists right it doesn't it's not necessarily a big title with qualifications that go along with it it's just a a wanting and a willing to protect something that you care about um and I think that for us it's very much around increasing awareness and engagement of clean sailors I mean we've already our crew is in Norway and Denmark and um Iceland, the Netherlands, the UK already. Oh, um, yeah, so increasing increasing the reach of Clean Sailors as a project, but also just us as a community mm. in general and how we can help activate more of our sailors to be ocean ambassadors that also help in turn spread the word to people who aren't perhaps as familiar with um, just topics of the ocean for sure. So that's going to come in many different guises and forms. And like I said, as well as sort of continuing our research and sort of features and the and the news that we're bringing to people that are following us and um, are working with us. It's also engaging with more partners who are doing some fantastic things within the marine space, for sure. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. And um, we'll continue to promote the ideas that you've got on Clean Sailors at Nomad. Thank you. Thanks for coming along. We'll put the end of the podcast. If you've got any books or articles you, you recommend, we'll add those to the links at the end of the podcast. And yes, super. Recently. We've got loads. <laughs> Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, Campbellton Lock, oh hi. Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, I would drink it dry. Now Campbellton Lock is a beautiful place, but the price of the whiskey is grim. How nice it would be if the whiskey was free and the lock was full up to the brim. Oh, Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, Campbellton Lock, oh hi. Oh, Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, I would drink it dry. I'd buy a yacht with the money I've got and I'd anchor it out in the bay. If I wanted a nip, I'd go in for a dip, I'd be swimming by night and by day. Oh, oh. Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, Campbellton Lock, oh hi. Oh, Campbellton Lock, I wish you were whiskey, I would drink you dry. We'd have a gathering of the clans, they come from near and far. I can see them grin as they're wading in and shouting, land, yeah,